Son Kearney on to his right foot and he cracks it home. Brilliant finish from Harrison Reed. Hello and welcome to the That's So Craven podcast, your Fulham podcast from Down Under and we're back again this time to discuss the Aston Villa game, uh, an unfortunate and disappointing 3-1 loss um, which sees us go into the international break and a bit of a slump slipping ever further adrift of uh, the, I guess, mid-table chasing pack. We're also going to be talking about the uh, Fulham women's team who lost in the FA Cup on the weekend and have the big game at Craven Cottage coming up next week. And the under-21s who had, I think it was a record win against Burnley uh, in the Premier League Cup. Here to talk it all through, we have Sam. How are we going? I am living off delirium, coffee and rage. And within that, I'm going pretty good. I'm, I'm very happy to be here. Let's let's get cooking on this one. There's lots. There's lots. Wonderful to hear. And Dad, how are we going tonight? Yeah, good, thanks. Uh, hello, everyone, and good to be here. Simple as that. Well, let's crack straight into it. It was, as I said, a, a really disappointing loss against Villa. I know we talked about it beforehand and couldn't really see us finding a, a result, couldn't see us scoring the goals required to maybe get points out of this game. But, Sammy, I'll throw to you first. Um, just give us your thoughts on the game in general and... Um, how you felt post-game uh, after another fairly disappointing loss? Yeah, broad strokes, not good. Um, uh, I mean, my my probably my biggest standouts is I wasn't expecting John McGinn to be as good as he actually was. I was quite surprised. Uh, I was expecting um, a solid performances from like Watkins, Martinez and Bailey, but McGinn really surprised me. Um, I thought... I thought we were pretty terrible and lackluster um, in the first half. I think um, we improved in the second, but I I think that's more because Villa just took the pedal off and they were like, we don't really have much else to do here today. It was a really disappointing game. <laughs> really, really disappointing game. I thought I thought we genuinely looked proper relegation fodder. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm not that upbeat. <laughs> Dad, I'll throw to you your thoughts. Oh, just disappointing, a bit depressing. Um, uh, I'm getting used to the feeling and I don't actually like it. Um, it I don't know. There, there was a lot to actually like about parts of our performance, but we, even in the first half where we weren't great, we actually did have a lot of half chances. And we were just not very good at um, turning those half chances. And uh, it's a bit of a, you know, recurring theme, isn't it? But <clears throat> look, I think um, I, I look. It wasn't it wasn't all awful at all. But um, I, I don't think that scoreline is is a. I don't. I don't want that to be a reflection of what what our potential actually is. Mm. You know. Uh, yeah. Look, I, I think everyone doesn't want it to be true, but unfortunately, yeah, it feels a bit like it is at the moment. Um, you know, this is a good Villa side. We can't let that one slip. They're in great form at the moment as well, and you know, form is is so important. You can't 
underestimate um, how much form actually adds to a performance. And I think this Villa side are just getting constant good results. And so coming up against them was always going to be a bit of a struggle. Uh, I think just to sort of add to that is the fact that we've had our own struggles in the last few weeks, few months even, um, you know, it's pretty obvious, but you have to score goals to win games. And we've really struggled to score goals. And in that first half, I, I don't think we, I, I know we had a few shots on target, but when I think back to them, I think it was Willian and maybe Pereira both had, I oh, know yeah. Willian and Jimenez, I think had shots. They were from, you know, 25, 30 yards out trying to curl it into the far corner and Martinez just made it look so easy because all he had mm. to do was basically take a step and very comfortably take the save. We we just never threatened in the first half. And look, it's it's disappointing, but though, it's, it's what we're used to now, unfortunately. Can, can I say, though, that, and we were talking about this during the game, is that, look, they play with a lot of confidence. And it's kind of the way in which we were playing in parts last season. They were pretty high risk at the back, don't you think, passing the ball around? And it looked like there could be an opportunity for um, a bit of a silly mistake. Even Martinez looked like you could put him under pressure. It, it didn't look super solid from them at the back. And we were trying to press them in, in, in parts. And so I just sort of, I don't know, it just seemed like, it was sort of almost there, but just couldn't really get it going. If anything, that annoys me more, though, just because like in, in highlighting that as well, all that says to me is that we're actually at a point now where teams can kind of toy with us and can just play um, with just such little um, regard for us to be able to like penetrate them in any way. I, I, it's really, really concerning for me. Um, no, if- I, I, dis- I disagree with that. I don't think they're toying with us. We actually created chances from mistakes. The problem was we couldn't do anything with them. Like Dad said, it, it was they, they did um, look a little bit shaky coming out of the back a few times, and they lost the ball. And I remember messaging Dad during the game and saying, there's potentially something here because they're making some mistakes in some pretty dodgy areas, you know, quite deep inside their defensive half. But the problem was we just couldn't do anything with it. We'd win the ball back and we'd basically just waste the chance. And that's that's the biggest problem there. Yeah, but my issue is I feel that Villa knew that and I feel that they knew that whatever they messed up, we weren't going to realistically challenge them in a threatening way. And no, that I don't, I've made... I don't think so. No, Sammy. Aside that, I, I actually, I actually going, think... Oh, we can mess up, it'll be fine. It, it, it's more of a statement about how, what happens when you are super confident and getting results. They, they just play like, like they're going to pull it off. And even mm. though I think some of their skill level at the back wasn't actually quite up to it, they just got away with it. We weren't good enough to capitalize on the mistakes. Didn't it didn't affect their confidence at all? They just played on, and mm. um, I, but you I think could a, see against you know, a side like a Man City, or we saw three, it when we played top Man three United. Side would 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 they, they'd be goals they take there. those chances? Yeah, they oh, take oh, those yeah. chances, and I think that's just where we struggle at the moment. And we we did have that in Metro back in the day, where you've got a striker who does capitalize on those moments but we just we're toothless at the moment it's it's 
it's really toothless going forward. But look, let's let's actually just talk about the goals themselves, the ones we conceded. Um, Dad, I'll throw to you first because I, I think you made comment pretty much straight away on the own goal. Um, look, it's it's good play by Villa. They broke through the line. It's a really good cross from Tielemans into the box. Um, there's a couple of runs there. I think Watkins pulls Ream mm. to the near post, and so the ball sort of gets cut back a little. I think it's going to Diaby, and Robinson just gets tangled up, hits him on the leg. Not much he can do about that, really. It's tough to clear a ball like that. Goes into the back of the net. His second own goal, I think, of the season. Um, the question is, should Leno have done better here? Look, it, it, it appears that Leno kind of not heard footsteps. He, he saw elephants coming over the hill. I mean, there were there were there were players, two players actually descending on him. It's fairly intimidating, but that is what being a goalkeeper is all about. And you know, you'd normally expect him to um, take that with great confidence and authority. And he, he he looked like he was put off by all of that. I mean, it's not that surprising that if there are two players and a keeper involved it's it's pretty easy to get a deflection um you'd hope that a a defender is always completely mindful of that and they get their limbs out of the way it's a bit unfortunate but but there's there's been a few of those recent times from robinson and it just looked very clumsy um, yeah. I, I'm not. I'm not sure how I feel about it all. I, at the time, my instinct and my immediate reaction was, "Gee, I thought Leno could have done better there because it wasn't. It didn't look that difficult. From memory, it bounced a little bit in front of him, um, and they're always a bit tricky. But yeah, no, normally, normally he would he would tidy that up. You'd think he would. How do you, how how are we how are we feeling about Robinson at the moment? Because I think I think in I think in when we're flowing and it's the side feels a lot more complete. Um, he can play like in in some games I've seen him and I've genuinely felt like you could play for like a top like Siri Siri R side, but like um, in 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 a squad that's not necessarily as strong. He seems to really, really struggle, and he's capable of having like some blinder games. But no, like, quite a question to the group: how 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 are we feeling about him? Because it's not necessarily the first um, faux pas that we've seen him done. Is this his second own goal as well for the season? Mm. Yeah, yeah look, um, you know, be, be, before I dive in here, whatever I say, I want to say he he he's not the biggest problem at the moment. No, of course not. Of course not. Um, there's plenty of other bones to be pointed, right? But the, the problem I always have with Robinson is I, I love what he does from about, um, you know, defensive midfield to attacking midfield. Um, I don't always love what he what happens when he tries to cross the ball in. He's great mm. at getting the ball up when he makes an attacking run. And on mm. his day, um, he, he can be really dangerous and he combines really well with Willian and just generally down the left. But he wouldn't be my first pick as a, a left back uh, as a defender in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I always feel like he's very much a compromised player. He's like, he's like um, you know, if, if, you, if you have an Olympic sprinter who's got okay ball skills, you still take him because he'll still 
if he wins the ball, he will carry it a long way, and that's beneficial. But he ain't the full package, or is that too harsh? Well, no, you, well, you fair. say that, but um, Usain Bolt got dropped by a couple of A-League sides, and they—I know, I know. He, yeah. You know, he was actually not a bad footballer as well. But pace isn't everything. Pace is great. We see it. We saw it with Dan James as well, who you absolutely despised. Um, <laughs> had to throw that in. Oh, there. harsh, um, harsh, harsh. Had harsh. to throw it in there. Um, but look, we pace isn't everything. I personally, I. I think Robinson's error prone. I think mm. he gets pulled out of position sometimes. <clears throat> but as a sort of mid-table to lower mid-table, even upper mid-table side, I think he's the kind of left-back we would expect. His pace does mm. cause problems. His pace also does cover a lot of issues when mm. he's defending. Like, he he's often the mm. player who gets back in front of yeah. every other player. And he had a tough assignment on the weekend. Diaby is one of the yeah. fastest players in the Premier League. But mm. he, he's also, he's just very up and down, especially at the moment. Mm. He's not the player he was last season where he, he had a really good season. He's he's slightly off boil at the moment. And I think a lot of that is the fact that William in front of him is also slightly off boil mm-hmm. as well. Mm. So they're not really meshing very well. Um, you know, he's he's having a lot of change across the back line. Uh, last season, he had Tosin and Ream pretty much every game, or Diop, Tosin, Ream, a combo of those guys feeding him. Now he's got Bassey, so he's getting balls in a different style. Bassey also can't play the sort of cross-field ball that Diop was playing previously because it's on his weak foot, so he's not getting hit up quite as often in that sense. But there's there's a lot of issues there with Robinson. But uh, like you said, Dad, I don't think he's our biggest problem at the moment. I think there's there's bigger issues than Robinson. And for me, it's just that everything's not really clicking at the moment. And I, I put it in my tweet post-game basically saying, we still don't know what our best 11 is. Who, who mm. starts, who's the best players to put out on the park to get results every week? I'm not sure about you guys, but I feel that we're really struggling from having um, very, very one-dimensional players that can either have a good game or a bad game but at no point can they actually seem to play with... Or, um, this isn't everybody in the squad, but I feel that we've got a lot of players that lack a lot of diversity and then can adapt to games um, accordingly. So in the case of Robinson, just because we're talking about him right now, Robinson is a very, very specific thing. He does that He does that wing-back, pumping forward, cross the ball in um, overlapping style. But when he is essentially challenged by like a specific player that kind of negates him from being able to play that he just kind of dissolves a little bit and that's assuming he um is playing against somebody who can like um take that out of him and sometimes he just doesn't necessarily have like the best game it's natural all players just play differently some players have good games some players have bad games whatever but um yeah i feel i feel like it's really really hurting us and especially Across, it really feels like across the park. Um, if our, if our guys uh, aren't really working, it's not. We we're just really or like silver actually is probably the one to really look at here. We're not we're not working well. <laughs> I guess like when it's, you could have it's just not, said that, Sam. You could have just said that. Yeah, but this is a podcast. It's about it's about <laughs> it's about delving deep. You know, I. Um, I th- I'm still back at Jack uh, describing Robinson as a player we should be 
fortunate to have as a mid table, maybe low. Oh, I thought you were going to go as as a rele- as a side about to be in a relegation battle. We should be lucky to have him. Uh, uh, I did. I did say lower mid table, <laughs> upper mid table. I thought you were going to go there. <laughs> well, well, I mean, to to Sam's point about one dimensional players, and and to sort of throw back to that comment, I think we we can't expect to get these players. I mean, we're lucky to have someone like. Polina, who is obviously miles above a player that Fulham should actually have in their team in the first place. But it's all about putting together a smart squad of players who kind of are a little bit one-dimensional, but creating a system that works with those one dimensions, if that makes sense. And and Robinson is the kind of player... Go on. Jump in and interrupt. Yeah, but but, but I think to Steve's comment following on the live stream earlier... Uh, why can't, you know, there haven't been that many changes since last year other than Metro. Um, and we've actually added to the squad in a, in a quite a healthy way. But there's something missing about the squad clicking mm. and why can't Silver get them back to where they were firing as a unit and overachieving as they were. But you, you say, they weren't, you say they were never They were never a, uh, an incredible elite squad. but And yet, he was doing magical things with them. And why is that? You say that, but Willian and Reem, both a year older and closer to retirement, they've slowed down massively and seem like they're completely off the boil and and completely off the pace at the moment. Um, Bassi is playing out of position. We had Castagna playing as well. Um, We didn't have a Wobi last year. He's playing defensively when I think he should be playing higher up the field. Wilson, for me, should have started over decade over Reed. We didn't have Mitro. That's six players who are different from that very settled side from last year. It does make a massive difference. So he's not getting the same out of that group because it's, yes, those players are in and around the squad, but firstly, they're not the same players as they were last year because a couple of them have got a bit older and we've got injuries as well. Like, it's it's just not the same group. And and maybe it it is that we need a couple of injuries to to heal up and then return to that same group and bring back Tosin at centre-back, bring back Tete, bring back Harris Reed and stop trying to squeeze Iwobi in, bring back Wilson on the right and then play Vinicius up front. And then you do basically have the team that played last year and cross your fingers that you can bring it back again. But then I also think we, we're missing out on some of those new players who we brought into the squad who could potentially push us on to the next level. I'm not. Really, I'm not uh, I don't necessarily agree, though, because I, f- I feel that I feel that managers should really be able to work with their players and be able to unite them under a shared understanding. Then you can interchange players more easily. It shouldn't. It shouldn't be that if you lose um, a couple of players, everything just turns to complete shit, which is essentially what's happened to us. Uh, that's what happens at every single club except for Man City, who have the most incredible squad. Look at Tottenham; they've or Newcastle; they've got injuries, and it's all falling to pieces. You, yeah, you, but I, I you can't. can't think you, you can't have a system and it just work all the time, no matter what players you've got there. It doesn't work like that. Otherwise, that would have been cracked a very, very long time ago. I I think that I, I'm not I'm not sure if I buy the sort of very obvious oh Raymond. Williano a year older. I'm not actually seeing it in their ability to compete, uh, to chase, to run out of steam. Reem's a fit guy, and I, and I know it's more than just the obvious aerobic 
stuff. It, it, it comes down to reflexes and a whole bunch of things. But I, I, I actually think Tim Ream's suffering more from a destabilization of losing his partner that was working very well. Um, he's, he's got yeah. Castagna. He hasn't got Tete. That's a, you know, we haven't been talking about this, but Kenny Tete being out of the team is massive. He's mm. actually part of a lot of really good things going forward, as well as an absolute mountain at the back. Mm-hmm. And he's combative, and those guys can really rely on him. That you know, he 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 often will he will just deal with a guy on his own. There's no need for him to come in and support him. And you can actually stay with your own player, and no one gets drawn out of position because they they have so much confidence in him. Willian, again, I, I've there have been moments when I've thought to myself, just in really tight triangles, when there's a lot of pressure on him. His mind is working very well. He knocks yeah. the ball out very quickly to the right players. So I, I'm not sure I'm buying the aging Brazilian man thing. I, I actually, I wonder if there's a bit of an attitude issue there. I, I, I don't know. He just doesn't look as up for it. Doesn't look that happy. Doesn't look like um, he's that happy to be there. Really. Mm. Yeah, I, I, th- I think that I, it, to be honest, it really. I was, I was actually. On the subject of Tottenham, I was hearing Postacoglu actually talk about um, just just how important culture is within a team. It honestly could be even like a culture thing. Like things could have happened. Obviously, we've had so much deregulation, and I feel that like it's like we've tried very hard to um, get back to where we were before. But I feel that culturally, maybe we're still experiencing a lot of. Um, roadblocks i have no idea what the behind the scenes is right now i don't know if it's turbulent uh, i i don't think so i mean looking at the the socials of the players sort of private accounts and they're all heading out to dinner there's that group of brazilian portuguese guys who literally spend every waking moment of every day together that's totally true um, but clearly there, something's there's wrong. yeah but i don't think it's a cultural issue i, I don't think there's Issues behind you don't see players on the pitch arguing with each other. You don't see no, no, those no, issues no. bubbling up. No, I, I don't no. think there's a big issue behind the scenes. I think the players just aren't performing. And and I I agree with what you said earlier, Sammy. I think it comes down to Silver having mm, to mix things up, and we, we, he's just not mixing things up at the moment. He mm. he really does need to make some changes. And uh, look, it's uh, he either goes back to what we had before, which is getting as close to the team from last season as we had possible and, you know, maybe saying, look, we're conceding too many goals. Harrison Reed comes back in until we fix the problem and can, and, you know, stop conceding stupid goals. And, and maybe we do have to be a bit more defensive and try and eke out some gritty wins or we make even more wholesale changes and really switch up the front line and start dropping Pereira, start dropping Willian, start dropping Wilson and, and really trying to find something but then i think we we're rolling the dice every week and hoping that we hit a jackpot basically which i don't think is the way forward i'd prefer to see us actually take a step back and try and return to what we were doing last year do you know do you know i'm you know, um, just i'm just on like a, a brief segue but i just i just want to um, sing their praises because i don't think we've done it enough and yeah like a couple of like calls didn't necessarily go their way but i really like timothy castagna i want like five of him i like because he's so intelligent i feel that like if we just had like four players that again i can just adapt to like wherever they are 
just with just so much poise that he just kind of like can exude. I always feel very confident and very content with him. And I feel that if we had like a full squad, and if we had the same squad that we had last year and he was in it, I think we would just be singing his praises every week. I really think he's that good. Well, so so Kenny, surely when Kenny's fit, he comes in. There's yeah, no absolutely. way. Absolutely. There's no way Castagna's stop, you know, stopping him from getting his position back. What happens to Castagna? Does he just sit back and rotation? Probably, yeah, just probably rotate. won't even rotate. Probably won't yeah, even rotate. Yeah, but like, oh, he definitely rotate. You you can't have a player like that and not rotate him. He's just so versatile. You could you could probably stick him like if we were in a bind, you could stick him in like center midfield, and you know what? He wouldn't embarrass. He wouldn't embarrass himself at all. I just I just really really like him, and as I said, I just I just want. I just want signings like that, you know? I, I think we've all been pretty um, positive about Castagna. I, I agree. I really like him as well. I don't think he's he, I don't think he's made any mistakes for us this year. No. And considering the fact that he's played at left back and right back so far, he's he's a pretty good pickup. Um, I'd actually like to see Balatore potentially get a start if um, yeah. we think Robinson's maybe a weak link. But I, I think some changes have to come in defence at some point because he can't keep conceding goals and pretty loose goals as well as often as we are and not make changes to your defensive line Let, mm. let's jump back into the game itself there was the the second goal for Villa um, McGinn uh, look it's a soft one for me the ball's cleared out there's no one following it up he mugs off Polina completely by dummying him and Polina dives to block and it's a good finish Sammy you mentioned McGinn at the start and said he was great I don't think he was great the one thing he was is very smart. He got under Polina's skin right from the start of the game, and his only aim was to get him yellow carded. He went down. I mean, I'll show the stats quickly, even though we're not at that point yet, but Fulham had 17 fouls to Aston Villa's four, and yeah. I reckon 10 of them were Jao Polina. Yeah. Well, I, I think... Yeah. Went down any time he saw Polina even come close to him. <laughs> yeah, no, very, very... Um... <laughs> topically very Jack Grealish of him. But I do I do think I do think McGinn just completely took Polina out of the game. And I also think that like he he just felt like he was everywhere. I feel that with every goal, McGinn was very, very close to everything that was happening. It's a bit yeah, I, I can I can definitely agree. It's a bit of like a soft goal that he got. I thought um his setup for the last goal, um for Watkins goal was brilliant because without him, you don't get um, Bailey being able to set up the cross for it. It's a simple tap in, but I feel that McGinn does the majority of the work there. I am. Um, I, he's, he's, I was actually listening to um, um, uh, Micah Richards actually talk about him um, uh, today, actually, because he, he was saying that um, he's always kind of been in the shadow of Grealish and now he's essentially just like his own player um and he's actually getting the uh he's getting his flowers um and now yeah i i i feel i feel that um i i i feel that he just completely controlled us and it was very very annoying he was very annoying also he looks about 56 and it, it was it, it just felt odd just seeing somebody who looks that much older than everyone, be way more agile than everyone. You're on mute, on mute. somehow. 
I reckon we've lost him for a second there. That's okay. Um, <laughs> he'll come back eventually. Follow um, look. Oh, there we are. Yeah, what what I was going to say was he easily makes my top ten punchable faces without any <laughs> any doubt. He's, I'm glad we know, waited for that because it was just 100 yeah. worth it. <laughs> look, it's I, I wouldn't call it shithousery, but he is. That's exactly what it was. <laughs> well, it's it's I'm kind of surprised the ref bought it really because it's pretty obvious what he was doing, and he was he was just. That player isn't it, wasn't he? I mean, he's a hard-working player, and I'm, I'm I'm sure they love him as a sort of a rousing, hard-working, mugging captain. But he's a very annoying player. He's, he's not super talented, but he's very annoying. It's it's the smarts for me. He obviously, and I don't know if it might be the the whole Villa management and the coaching staff went. You know. We need to take yeah. Polina out of the game. How are we going to do that? It's John McGinn being a dick all day. And he was. Every time he went down, he was straight in the ref's face saying, give him a card, and he made a real point of it. And it, it worked. He got Polina a card. As soon as Polina gets carded, he is kind of taken out of most games because yeah. he really knows he can't get sent off because we don't we can't afford for him to miss three games at any point. Unfortunately, the, the fact of the matter is now because of that yellow card, which – Look, probably deserved purely on the the number of fouls that he um, he made on the weekend. Um, Polini is going to be missing for the Wolves game, which is really disappointing because that's an important one for us. But yeah. look, it was he put it all down entirely to McGinn because he really created that, and uh, you have to take your hat off to players like that. I hate the shithousery, and it, it it grinds you when you see a player doing that because it feels a bit bullshit. But at the end of the day, it worked. Within the rules, he just he went down every time he got contact, and the referee fell for it. Um, the the third goal, Fulham at that point game completely killed off. Um, uh, as you said, Sammy McGinn involved again, plays the ball out to Bailey, who came on as a sub. Um, when you got a player like that with pace, it's always going to be pretty pretty dangerous. And uh, he plays the ball in for Watkins to tap home. Pretty much game gone at that point, but we did pull one back, and it's. 619 days, I believe, since Jimenez scored um, his goal before this. He's finally got one. It's a brilliant ball over the top from Harry Wilson, who picks out Anthony Robinson running through a very high Villa defensive line and basically doing what we kind of should have been doing all game and playing those balls over the top into the space behind. Um, Robinson does really well, takes a good touch, passes the ball into Jimenez. This is the the... The crazy thing is, I was certain he was going to miss. It's an mm. open goal tap in, but that somehow. I was terrified that he was actually offside. Yeah, I, I just, I, I just thought it was offside at first. I just thought hmm. it was so Jimenez that he finally gets his goal, and it's uh, it's during like a, a three nil pumping at that stage. So he can't even celebrate and bless his heart. He's it's just, it'll still be oh. a massive weight off his shoulders for sure, but yeah. there was a lot of relief. There was a lot of relief on that face and a cruel camera zoom in to his little uh literally like kind of I don't know what how you describe the face on him, but utter, utter relief. And look, yeah. it was probably a bit unlucky earlier to there was a really good save from Martinez who um you know, mm. tip the ball, I think, onto the post off Jimenez. It was, it was pretty unfortunate. Oh, half a finger, Jimenez. half a finger. 
for him not to get that goal and get off the mark. And you kind of felt like it just wasn't going to be his day. But I'm look, I'm glad that he's scored that goal. It's going to take a lot more for me to be won over and and into the Jimenez camp full time because it's it's one goal. It was a tap in. Great, it'll definitely do something for his confidence, but it's it's just not going to be enough quite yet for me to be so, becking and calling for him to be starting every game. Yeah. So what? So what, I think Marco Silva might be in a similar camp to you, Jack, because minutes, seconds after he scores, he's dragged. Crazy. Yeah. I genuinely yeah. thought we were watching AFL because in AFL, once you <laughs> kick a goal, you basically go straight to the rotation bench and and take a sit down as a bit of a. A pat on the back for kicking a goal, and oh. we've seen it here. And he's just been dragged. That was mind-boggling to me. Oh, I don't know what what happened. But what, what, whatever. Oh, but whatever, whatever the sort of uh, predetermined move. How can you do that to a guy who hasn't scored for forever? He finally gets past the keeper, and then that's it. Well, well, I mean, you know, maybe the thought process was he's done his part, he's knackered, and, and maybe actually you're kind of saving him and going, your last action is going to be scoring a goal. I'm not going to let you have any more misses and not going to lose <laughs> any of that confidence. Come off, mm. we'll wrap you in cotton wool, we'll make you feel good, we'll give you some cuddles and kisses and we'll move forward. Yeah, I'm I'm so I'm so for, like, just silver sticking to the plan and just... Um, yeah, even in the face of getting absolutely spanked, Silver's going. Nah, I don't. I don't necessarily care. This is my plan. Um, we need to rotate now. I understand the sentiment behind keeping you on, but the plan is more important. I'm always about managers who stick to the plan. So I'm actually not that um, mad at it. Cruel, very cruel, but <laughs> definitely not mad about it. Yeah. Um. One other thing, I guess, to mention, which is probably worth discussing I, I was really um excited to see Adama come back. Obviously he's been injured for a long time with that hammy in- injury, but a couple of instances where he picked up the ball and just drove forward. Not necessarily down the wing. A couple of times he drove through the middle, but there was one clip during the rounds on Twitter over the last couple of days where you see him pick up the ball out wide. He basically breaks through the Villa press purely because he's so quick. Mm. He just knocks the ball around them into the space behind, which is sort of the space between the midfield and defence. And all of a sudden, they're all running back because he's actually broken through this press and he's taken five or six Villa players out of play completely by doing so. I think he is actually going to be key to um, to us moving forward. I think, we're, I think we need to potentially look at starting him because that pace and ability he's got, admittedly, his final ball is still looking fairly terrible. He tried to put yeah. a couple of crosses into the box and I don't think he beat the first man. But mm. it's just the fear that he uh, that he can instill in the opposition and also that that burst of pace just opens the game up completely and oh, look if yeah. he if he has that burst and then plays Wilson in for example, which I think he did late in the game. Yeah. That's the kind of thing that you're looking for is you create the opportunity and then give it off to someone who can finish the opportunity. And unfortunately, Wilson wasn't able to in that instance. But uh, I feel like he's going to be key to us maybe turning things around over the next couple of months before January comes around and we maybe make some new signings. Um, well, it, it's it's interesting, isn't it? Because last it, last year's Fulham side, that was really firing. He, he doesn't get a start. But this year's <laughs> Fulham side where... 
we we need to come up with something creative, just something, anything, to change it up. He, he's suddenly looking like an interesting option. I thought he started pretty rusty, uh, but he definitely he definitely made a couple of moves, which, as you say, just injects anxiety into an opposition because they know they know him and they know he's quick, and they probably know he may not score, but he breaks things open, and I'm not, I'm, we can yeah. capitalize. Great. I'm not even sure if it's rusty. I think Adama Traoré has just always been like that. He's never had like the most amazing touch. He's just he's just a kamikaze. He's just a bit of a ticking time bomb. I love that aspect about him. He's mm. always kind of been this. Um, yeah, I, to be honest, I'm not really sure if it's creativity or if it's literally just like a tomahawk just coming towards. Yeah, it doesn't him. matter. But, yeah, no, matter. You're, you're totally right. It just it just completely breaks up the game, and it's. Um, like I'm not, I'm not sure if I would like start him in the middle or anything. But at six, at sixty minutes, if we're struggling, hell yeah, I'd put him on and put him like literally at. Um, I put him at striker and literally I would just pump the ball like, um, like as far as you could do it and just go Traore run. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, it's. Man, these next these next couple of weeks are going to be really, really interesting. I mean, I'm sure we're probably going to like touch on it like in a sec, but um, like, not what not what actually what are we going to do here? But um, uh, like, are we? Because I, I think we're in a relegation fight now. Do you guys kind of like agree with that? I mean, obviously it's compacted down the bottom, and I'm actually thinking long term here. I don't. I'm not even thinking like it's a relegation fight this year but i think if we keep this up and if this is going to be the the side and the temperament to which we play next year we are definitely looking at relegation i don't think you can make a call on next year we've got a two transfer windows to go before that i um, don't trust the yes if, no if if the same team is there next year with no additions then yeah of course we'll still be in the same position and, and struggling but Look, I think we've got a, a very interesting January ahead. I think with the players we've got, there's definitely the potential there to pick up points. And we saw it last year. It's like like we've said, it's not a hugely different team apart from one man up front. Uh, but that shouldn't be affecting us as much as it currently is. So there's some some bigger issues in the way we play than just our striker. Um, before the game, I, I put out a poll on Twitter asking if we were in a relegation battle um, and 79% of people said yes. So yeah, it, it's definitely the feeling around the, the Fulham community that this is starting to feel like a relegation battle for me personally. And I know a few other people have been slated for saying it, but I, I just can't see those teams at the bottom challenging enough for us to actually be in a genuine relegation battle. I think we we're in a battle to, potentially get into 17th 16th and and really be clear of it and I, I think you can say because you know mathematically we might not be safe until three games out from the end of the season that counts as us being in a battle but if I pull up the table now and look at the bottom of the table 12, 12 games in and Luton who are the best of the bottom three at the moment have six points um, and look their goal difference and goals for goals against is very similar to us, but we've picked up double the amount of points they have. Um, Question Sheffield Question. with five, Burnley with four. Like it, those teams just are, are so bad that I just feel like there's, 
and we'll talk about it when we talk about the under 21s and, and the women's over the last couple of weeks and the games they've had to play. There just feels like this big difference between the promoted sides and the rest of the Premier League this season. But yeah. to that point, to that point, I do feel that, say, for example, a Sheffield United, Sheffield United or Luton are one good manager away from really causing trouble from us. And they realistically, they probably will lose their manager midway through the season because that's how the Premier League works. I, I was saying to Jack, one thing that might just be a bit of a blessing here, if if there was any doubt in anyone's mind about, you know, just how precarious the situation actually is, notwithstanding how shit the, the lowest three teams are, it, over the next few weeks... We play last, so we play Sunday or maybe midweek or whatever. And so we get to see everyone's results, get to see everyone's points added to the total, and we see ourselves in the position that we could end up in if we pick up no points from this game. It's quite kind of stark. It's quite confronting. Mm. But you, you know what I mean? It's like better than turning up for a kickoff on a Saturday afternoon with with you know, the majority of teams playing the same time you're playing and you're not really overthinking um, where you might be at the end of the the, the, the last whistle. But it, it is quite daunting when you look at it and you start in 16th position and then everyone plays uh, their matches and you, you think, well, geez, if we pick up a point, if we don't pick up any points, we're in big trouble here. We're, we're getting closer and closer to stuck at the bottom. Mm. I don't know. Yeah. I think, you know, as Colm says on our live stream here, we are one win away from 12th at the moment. Um, uh, but we're, you know, two wins away from being dragged. Sorry, two. Luton need to win two games to start dragging us into any kind of danger. Um, mm. And look, we've watched Luton, we've watched Sheffield, watched Burnley this year. Yes, they will pick up occasional wins throughout the season, but these sides, I, I can't see them picking up more than 30 points through the whole year, probably less. I, I genuinely think 35 points, maybe even 33 points is going to be enough to keep teams safe this season. And I, I can see us picking up points. I mean, we, we still have to play Burnley. We still have to play Bournemouth, who are both below us. Bef uh, we still have to play Forest, who are a point above us, um, before we've played every team uh, at least once and, and got to sort of the halfway stage in the season. I think if we can't pick up points against Burnley, um, can't pick up points against Bournemouth and Forest, then there's definitely an issue there. Uh, mm. I think you can't really judge everything until we're halfway through the season. But look, if we if we beat Burnley, beat Bournemouth. We're probably going to be pushing to three, four, maybe even five wins away from the chasing pack and the relegation pack. I just can't see us being fully dragged into it, and it's it's not because we're good. I'll put it out there. I'm saying we're not we're not a good side at the moment. We're not playing well, and we kind of deserve to be in a relegation battle. But mm. this particular season of the Premier League, I I, I it doesn't even feel like there's a relegation battle. I mean, Bournemouth are kind of in it, but they look a much better side than those bottom three sides who just don't look like picking up points. Well, the other thing as well, I think, is that we, we as we've been thrashing this subject, we, we know what this squad is actually capable of. And whilst they can't seem to put it together, we know that it's in them and we've seen that. Mm. 
And we know that they can actually win games if they can find a way to get that form back. And that's a whole lot of different to looking at a squad and thinking, we need four new players or we need five new players and a new manager. We've got the squad. It's just not happening. Do you reckon the cons are stressed right now about this? Do you reckon the cons are actually looking at this just being like, wow, this is actually significantly worse than we originally planned for? And do you reckon that's potentially going to be cause for them to have a really, really heavy, hectic January of actually properly buying? Or what do you reckon? I don't think they're stressed. I I think... And we don't know this. Yeah. We don't know this for sure. But well, I, I don't like. I said I don't think we should be that stressed. I think we're not at the point yet where we should be stressed. I think if we get to nineteen games played and we're a couple of points above the relegation zone, then I'd start to feel stressed. Um, but <laughs> excuse me, I, I feel like the the Khans probably had Silver sign that new contract on the proviso that there's players coming in in January, and I know. There's um, some reports today that Andre has basically signed with Fulham and will join after the Club World Cup. There's a lot of reports flying around about strikers that we made offers for. So I'd, I'd feel like there's investment coming, which means the Khans obviously realise that, that there's be. an issue that needs fixing. Yeah. Um, but I think they planned for this. I think they looked at the teams coming up and said these teams aren't actually that good and maybe we can get away with not investing anything for a season. Mid-season, they've gone, shit, okay, we do have to invest some money now. Mm. It's so dangerous to say they're not good because they're not they're not good now. But I, I, I still very much think that that can potentially change. I, I've not seen enough from those teams to to see them get anything. They've got, I mean, Luton have picked up their points. They got lucky draws against, they got a lucky draw against Liverpool. I mean, mm-hmm. they lost to Burn. They beat a pretty poor Everton side. They've picked up a couple of little draws here and there, but they're not lighting the world on fire. None of those sides are. Burnley, who everyone thought were going to be this amazing team and finish top half, are struggling to get anything out of any game. I mean, we we talk about our issues scoring 10 goals so far. They've scored nine and conceded 10 more than we have. Like, they just don't look like doing anything. Yeah, but what I'm saying is... What I'm saying is they don't necessarily have to be amazing. They just have to be better than us. And I feel like they're just um, slightly. (laughs) They're not right now, but you get a decent manager in there and you could potentially change that up for them. I don't don't think so. (laughs) Back to your comment, Jack. You'd have to be a ballsy, big-ass poker player of of a club owner to not be stressed by where we sit at the moment. I, I don't care what you say. You... You, you know that that's a big, big financial implication mm. um, if you get relegated. And yeah, I mean, there there must be some stress because I'm I'm sure they've said we're going to invest money in January, and I don't. I think if you were not stressed, you'd say we don't need to do that, and so you'd just leave it and say, yeah, we're totally chilled and we're fine. So there would be some stress there, but I just don't think it's it's not panic by any means. I don't know yeah. if you disagree with that, but I, I just feel like we're um, there's. No, no I'm not. I'm, I'm not panicking. We can start to make some yeah, calls like I, that. I think we're. I think we're all more frustrated and just kind of like, come on, because we yeah. we know like this squad can do it rather than panicking because we can we can turn around a lot quicker than anyone else can. I'm sure. 
I'm doing what I like to do. I like to pre-panic before I panic. It's um, it's a, it's a something I inherited from my mother. I, I, I quite like doing that. It's a, it, it, it eases me. It eases me to kind of just get that pre in. So then, when the panic actually starts, I'm like, okay, well, I've already thought about this now. I'm sure there's a medical procedure to remove that from your lifestyle. Cognitive behavioral therapy. <laughs> Let's have a quick look at the stats from the game. Um, possession was fairly even. Villa with 51 to our 49. Villa had 12 shots with six on target to our nine shots with five on target. Passing, Villa with 511 passes, Fulham 489. Fulham with seven corners to Villa's two and Fulham with 17 fouls to Villa's four fouls, which is kind of staggering. Mm. Um, Like I said, a look at the table. Fulham sitting in 16th. Um, I mean, we're four points adrift of Brentford, who are sitting in 11th at the moment, um, and six points ahead of Luton, who are sitting in the relegation zone. It, it is starting to get a little bit worrying, um, but... Like I said, there's there's still a fair bit of football to be played before the midway point in the season. I think the next um, the next six games for Fulham especially are going to be vital. And it's something we'll hopefully cover during the international break and talk about the next six because I think that's going to be a, a really important little run for Fulham with some winnable games in there especially. Um, moving forward, we'll have a quick look at the um, fantasy. And we're not doing this just because I've broken into the top ten finally. Um, <laughs> but Mitrovision, we Wesley Boxall, yeah, we might be. Um, Wesley Boxall still sitting on top. He's been doing very well all season, 786 points. Um, Jonathan Peachy in second place is doing really well. And is that Safira G with all about that Bassy has come up into third <laughs> place recently? Um, I, I must be threatening yeah. someone. The bottom, yeah. Um, and a big shout out to Colm as well, who's uh, on the live stream, currently sitting in sixth place. Um, doing really well with um, Rob holding a sack of rice. Yeah, not bad. Rob holding um, let's uh, move on and we'll have a chat about the under-21s, uh, some Brighton news with uh, hmm. them playing on Saturday and absolutely walloping Burnley in the Premier League Cup. Um, for some context, Burnley sit in Premier League, Premier Division 2, um, so the league below Fulham under 21s, Burnley is sitting, I think, about mid table at the moment. Fulham currently sitting second or third in the under 21s league. So, look, there's quite a big difference there, especially when they combined the under 21 leagues at the end of last season. So now the Premier League, I think it used to only have 12 teams, it now has 24 teams. And Burnley sit outside the top 24. So they're, you know, you could say they're probably the 40th or 50th best. Um, under-21s team because they sit in the under-21s Div 2 North section. Um, and look, we know that this under-21s group is very special and they really showed it on the pitch as well. Um, I'm sure we've all seen the highlights. Uh, goals from Lupalo Bai, two goals for Luke Harris, Doria Henry, um, Chris Donnell with a hat-trick after coming on as a substitute and uh, Georgios Ocos, Ocas as well uh, with one goal there. Look, and it a was partridge in a pear tree. Yeah, I reckon um, it, it, it was a clinical performance, and you know we we talk about it when we talk about the the Fulham women's team as well. This under twenty ones is a very very special group 
There's a lot of high-quality, talented players here. And you see it in, in the international break. All of these guys are going off and representing their countries. Not all mm. of them, but a, a high number of these guys are, are going off and representing their countries. And we're getting to the point now as well where a lot of them are representing the senior team, especially guys um, <clears throat> like Dibley Diaz with New Zealand, uh, Luke de Fougerolles with Canada, uh, Luke Harris with Wales. They're getting called up for, for senior matches, even though they, they haven't even made first-team debuts in some instances. Um Dad and Sam, I guess you, you guys watched the highlights from this game and just saw how clinical this Fulham team can be. Um, were there any standout performances for you in particular? Yeah, I just uh, want to thank you guys as a group for introducing the under-21s and the women's segments because this has been such a wonderful foil to a few <laughs> grim weeks. A very terrible season so far, yeah. Look, I'm getting... Okay, so if I was playing career mode on FIFA right now, I would just do a complete overhaul and just go rogue and just be like, okay, so we're starting with the under-21s and they will get better because statistics on FIFA say that the younger the player, the better career mode is going to be. Um, no, gen- I just I just set um, it down to like semi-pro or something like that, just so I could have a realistic chance. But honestly, honestly, like, um, like we, I, I like that Silver is definitely already doing this. They gave them a proper, they gave Burnley a proper spanking, like a proper spanking. They were the hiding was red raw. Um, look, Burn, like I know, I know that there is a bit of a, a massive quality gap between them and Burnley because I think um, uh, the Burnley under twenty ones are in a couple of divisions below. I think Jack Jack said that um, before we um, did the podcast. But I mean, I think um, uh, there is a clear, clear idea that these guys are a very special class at the moment, and I think that they are seriously have their sights set on being in um the first team i think i think you can realistically see it there is a clear line going um uh don is it donald like um uh, the perth perth glory boy Mm -hmm. yeah he particularly stood out not necessarily just because he just got a hat trick but his goals in particular were so so confident he was just cruising. Like it was, it was like a, a hat trick in seven minutes or something like that. But just he, he just, he just kind of sounds weird to say, but he just felt like a man there. He really felt like a man that was literally playing against like a group of like 15 year olds. Like he just came in and just properly asserted himself. And um, no, I, 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 I really like him. I, 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 I could, if I was silver, I'd be like, that boy's getting at least on the bench. Well, you know, to to sort of extend the theme that I've mentioned in, you know, in comedy before, maybe there is some serendipitous sort of luck in all of this that Fulham senior side isn't doing that well. Uh, obviously, you know, the recruitment staff would be looking externally to try and beef up the side, but you you, you cannot help but think that the under-21s doing really, really well and uh, playing out of their skin and really dominating, it it, it must cause the senior team to be thinking, hey, I wonder if we, uh, how would it go if we actually gave this guy a chance? Well, what have we got to lose? Even, even Even if they, you know, 
it, it's it's different for a defender like Luke Defugerols. I mean, he comes, he sits on the bench, and if we're getting battered, the the last thing you want to do is bring a kid on. Mm. But if you need someone in attacking midfield or possibly a striker or something like that, you, you're more likely, surely, to, to roll the dice on a on a young, inexperienced player mm. than you are on a defender. That would be that would be my take. Also, as well, if you think of like if you think of Jimenez, and this isn't this isn't going to be a, a trash on Jimenez, but like Jimenez is earning a hundred thousand a week. So if he shows up or not, he might not necessarily start, but he's still making his money. He's kind of largely been proven in the Premier League. He doesn't really have that much to give to us. He's in like all he's really got right now is to prove to himself that he can still kind of do it. That's a mental thing within him. These guys are looking to really step up to that next level. They, If they're playing in the Premier League right now, if they're given that opportunity by Silva, they're playing with so much hunger because they know that if they show up and everyone's going to be looking at them, everyone loves an upside, everyone loves that story, they can get a serious move on. And you know what? Why aren't we? Why aren't we milking that for every little bit that we can, especially while we're struggling? Well, I'll I'll answer that. Um, when you're in a relegation fight, bringing youth players into the side is not the best policy. You you want to be able to yeah. bring players in in the championship, like we saw. Uh, consider the the progress players like Carvalho and Sessegnon made in the championship, and consider if they would have made the same impact in the Premier League in a no. side that's getting relegated. Almost no. certainly not. So it's it's actually about keeping this group together. If worst case scenario we do get relegated and have to sort of start again, we've got this great group of players who you can integrate straight into the first team. Um, mm. I'd be wary though of in hugely important moments dropping someone like a Luke Harris or a Defugerols into the thick of it and saying you guys you know sort this problem out that the senior team's having because you guys are talented youngsters who are the future of the club. You put a lot of pressure on them early doors, and it can it can break players because they're young, they're not you know maybe emotionally fully there yet, uh, maybe incorrect. But I feel like you have to be careful when you're when you're bringing young guys through, and we've been very careful with players like Luke Harris to not overexpose him. It's now you about know, you know what? getting a, you know a bit what? of you know what. Okay, I, 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 what? what? I'm calling. Fractionally bullshit on that. That's a very <laughs> calm and considered, um, very seasoned approach. But I, I look at countries like England in cricket, even Australia to a degree, and the the, the process you've got to go through. And people people are so carefully managed into the senior international teams, right? And you look at place countries like Pakistan and Afghanistan. They see a young player, they go, "You're a quality boy." Straight into the big team, it may not. Mm. They may not make it, but oftentimes, if they if they pick the right people, it works. Well, in Brazil, that's what they do in Brazil. They get broken. No, not necessarily. But that's what they do in Brazil. Like, because you have like players playing like proper professional football by the age of like fifteen, and then like they're actually like developing. Like by the time name by the time Neymar was nineteen, I think he had already played something ridiculous like three hundred professional games. Like there's, there's, it's a crazy statistic, and that's usually why Brazilians are incredibly elite 
a lot of the time. It's 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 you can definitely do it. It's more of um, and you know what? In in the cases of like Man United getting someone like Erasmus Hoyland in, where you chuck stupid amounts of money at this player and give him uh, an unfair responsibility and a lot of pressure on him, I think it's a little bit different when you actually go through the ranks from like an under twenty ones a youth team to the main squad. Because I I do I that I do think that pressure does exist, but I think it's a lot calmer as opposed to just sticking a shitload of money on a player and saying you sort this out from like a completely I, external thing. I, I'm not saying, Jack, that that isn't a really stressful thing no, to do to a young upstart player, but I think if I, I actually think um, that a lot of the time. It, it almost seems too hard for these young guys to break in when not all of them are going to be able to do it. But you, it's very, very difficult to know if they can step up. And look at the Fougerolles. I know it was only the summer series in the US, but that was a pretty big step up for him. And you, you can never, ever tell how they're going to cope emotionally, psychologically, physically, skill-wise. skill, skill wise. And... You know, you, you unless you dump them in and dip them in, you, you're not going to know. And if you, yeah. if you, Pro- problem if is, you, you, you dump them in and you cross your fingers rather than taking a more measured approach. I think that's too risky. Uh, I think the you can make talk a like an England administrator here, Jack. Well, no, you, you can make the comparison of you can make the comparison of Neymar, but he is one very special. No, he's exceptional. That's exceptional. So. It's and the same with Haaland and Mbappe and those guys. Like the, these are Ballon d'Or winners. We we might have Ballon d'Or winners in our ranks, but then realistically, the majority of these guys. And if you look at the statistics of players who play for academy teams in England, it's something crazy. Like half a percent of players actually end up going on to become professional footballers. So if you're dumping potentially highly talented players into the deep end and crossing your fingers that they come out of it on the other side, I think that's just too risky. And I think we we have a good system where we've been able to get these young players from under-18s into under-21s and then into senior football in Sessegnon, Elliot, Carvalho over the last few years. Uh, I don't know why we would then start just dumping players in and, and hoping that they do well because our under 21s are doing so well i think if anything you can keep nurturing them and then do what we're doing with stansfield and Godo and other players like that and send them out on loan and and go through that way of doing it and get them you know league one experience and then championship experience and if they continue their progress then you can bring them into the side and say these guys have 60 career appearances in you know championship and league one the step up to the Premier League after that is not so huge. But these guys are all only playing under-21s games against other under-21s players. It's it's a big risk to put them in the deep end at that point and, and just cross your fingers that they adapt instantly. And some might and some will, but I think it's too big a risk when you've got the talent that we've got. We don't need to rush them into the team. No, you don't need to rush them into the team. But what I'm just saying is you can put them in and then allow them the time to actually grow. But I and I understand the risk. Well, there might there might be a big risk. (laughs) Yeah, the risk is you're in a relegation battle, and you need that's why you send players out on loan so they they do have time to grow. Um, and and there's no jeopardy to Fulham at that point. Stansfield goes and has a terrible season at Birmingham. 
Fulham, there's no lose there for Fulham. Mm. Stansfield goes and has a breakout season at Birmingham and comes home after scoring 20 goals in the season. We've got a confident potential Premier League striker on our hands at that point. Mm. Um, and there's there's no risk. It's no risk, huge reward if it comes off. So I, I feel like that's the way we should be going. And look, I'd like to see the majority of this under-21s team next year go out on loan and get a lot more experience and see if they can translate this really good under-21s cup and league form into actual professional football form. I want to recall Goddard. So, that's, so why didn't why didn't stop. Harris why didn't Harris and Luke Defugeros go out on loan? I think they're actually considered part of the very extended squad. Um, I think we we obviously went. We've got enough wingers and striking options for to send Stansfield and Godot out. Like we said, we could recall Stansfield or Godot, but. Realistically, they're the fourth choice striker, and so there's limited opportunities there apart from the occasional cup game. Um, Maybe I, it was I just a Luke... reality at the end of a shit transfer window that we looked around <laughs> and thought, mm, "Geez, hang on, what else? I mean, what else is we've, here? we've seen the injuries Un- unpack your bag when you, yeah. when you have um, Tosin and Diop both down. Defuzeros mm. is our third choice centre back at that point." So yep. you have, I think we've had to be a little bit careful and keep some of those guys back when it would have actually been better for their development to send them out on loan. Um, but it, it's made sense that we've kept hold of them. And, and, you know, they've had a little bit of Premier League experience. Oh, not Premier League experience, but they've had some experience off the back of it. And I hope before the end of the season they'll get a little bit more as well. But that requires an upturn in results for the senior team. Um, a quick look at the goal scorers for the under-21s before we move on. Um, Chris Donald with those... With that hat trick, I was going to say those goals. With the hat trick, moves to six goals, so he's finally level with Marshall Gotto, even though Gotto's not even been at the club. Um, so we're looking forward to pushing Marshall off that top goal scorers list and finally celebrating someone who's actually playing for the under twenty ones as a top goal scorer. Um, goal for Giorgio Sokas as well takes him to four for the season. And um, look, there's a, a plethora of goal scorers there, which is obviously great to see for the club. Um, this team puts away goals for fun, so. Um, we expect this chart to change more and more week in, week out. Uh, let's move forward and talk about Fulham women's team. So, uh, look, a disappointing result on the weekend, but um, uh, some really good experience for the girls as they took on Portsmouth. Portsmouth play in the National League, I believe it's called. It could be the National um, – I think it's called the National League. Um, the National League is, is the third tier in the pyramid – um, Portsmouth currently sitting top of their league as well, so most likely favourites to be promoted, um, at, at which point they'll be sitting literally one step below the Women's Super League, um, playing Premier League football effectively. So uh, it's a really good test for this Fulham team, who are obviously sitting a few rungs below in the pyramid. Um, and, and look, it's it was a clinical performance from Portsmouth. Um, Dad and Sam, I'm not sure if you guys read the report on the game, but... Fulham yeah. actually held their own for a, a fair amount of this game. And yeah. the scoreline, you know, it obviously shows that Portsmouth were the better side on the day, clearly. Um, but I don't think it reflects the effort put in by the team. And I don't know if you guys saw Steve Jay's interview post game as well, basically saying a lot of the goals that were conceded were because uh, we asked the team to play in a particular style that did leave us a little bit exposed at the back. Um, there was a 15-minute period, I think, after 
half time that between the 55th and the 78th minute where we conceded six but a lot of that was because we were pushing ourselves to try and get back in the game you know nothing to lose in a cup game you, you have to sort of push for the win and mm. um the players did what we did the, what they were asked which is kind of all you can ask for as a manager um dad and sam it's obviously a tough result to take and you look at the the scoreline 9-1 and say that's a battering but uh, positives to take from this game yeah, well, look, firstly, thanks and a shout-out to Dan Crawford uh, from the Hammy End who uh, wrote a very good summary of the game, very eloquent, very poetic in, in parks. And I know I know Dan's a, a, a genuine follower of the women's team, and so we celebrate that very hard as well. So thanks for that because we appreciate um, the info. Um, look, m- maybe... That's a very, very harsh scoreline to to deal with. And from everything we have heard, the first half, it was pretty even. And so uh, a clinical performance obviously makes it perhaps look and feel worse than it even was. But I'm I'm just wondering whether this is not a league game. It's It's a roll of the dice against a side a long way above you. And it's just unfortunate that that's what you've drawn. And that is that is the way of cups. But I, I wonder if this is not a bad precursor or warm-up for the Arsenal game um, at the Cottage uh, against, a, you know, a really good opposition. So you're not, you're not smashing, you know, league teams way below you and possibly getting a little bit um, complacent. Um, the, the, it, it's it may be psychologically not the worst uh, precursor to the big game on the weekend. Yeah, look, I don't, I don't think, I don't think it's um, the the worst outcome in the world. Look, at the end of the day, we, like women's football at the moment has progressed so much. I mean, if you, even if you just hark back to the most recent Women's World Cup, the quality level is just crazy at the moment. Um, and so as a result, you do have deeper disparity between the leagues that you wouldn't have necessarily had quite a few years ago. So it was always going to be um, a challenge for us. And we're we're in the stage where we are climbing the ranks. We are um, we're, we're pushing up and it's realistic. It will happen. We're, we're, we're at the infancy of that um, climbing of the ladders. To get um, back to the, the the women's super league, where um, we will be, I, I have every confidence that we will be there. Um, I I I I don't want to use words like um, being humbled or anything like that. I think at the end of the day, we um, went to be competitive, um, but we just play we just played a team that um, had longer legs that we did um uh, were able to essentially take yeah as in as in as in they were able to play um uh significantly harder for longer periods so we were so we were able to give them a really really solid first half and then um we just didn't necessarily have the legs to compete with the rest of the game and then they just took advantage of that and then just kind of steamrolled a little bit but But, but, it's an experience it's an yeah I, I, I expect it may not have been. Obviously, we're we're speculating because we weren't there. But I, I, I suspect it's more like, you know, playing Man City, making a couple of mistakes, 
aside, your 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 peers as mid-table clubs in the league may not punish you for it, but a team, mm. you know, much higher than you will absolutely punish you for yeah, it. So and, it may not be a legs and fitness thing at all, uh, but purely a, a quality thing that you, you know, there's, there's, there's no shame in that. And you have to course. respect, you have to respect sides that, you know, have better quality, and, which is um, supported by their position in, 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 you know, in the pyramid. Yeah, um, of course. No, it's not, it's definitely not the end of the world. And I, I, I'm sure that Steve Jay and his team will, will be straight on to it and get that group back focusing on the main job at hand, and that is, you know, um, catching catching the top team and getting promoted. Yeah, absolutely. And, and look, yeah, I, I think this needs to just be taken as a, a bit of an experience and um, it, it's it's – it's tough playing against a team that are obviously um, superior in quality to you, but you learn a lot from those games as well. Even though it maybe can be seen like a negative, you go into it and and hope to get something out of it, come out with a, a pretty disappointing loss. But th- being able to play against players of that quality, you do learn a lot on the field. You see their movement. And uh, I'm sure you guys saw in the highlights of the goals as well how um, – clinical this Portsmouth team were pretty much every attempt they had on goal was in they yep. they finished really well they didn't miss out on any opportunities they pressed our defense really well and look caused a couple of little errors as well and these are things that we learn from uh, and fortunately it's a it's a cup game it's not having huge implications in a, a promotion race for us or anything like that it's 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 a learning opportunity and I think one that we're going to take a lot from and um, hopefully we take a lot from that game into the next game, uh, which is against Arsenal. Before we look at that, I'll have a quick look at our top goal scorers list. Sophie Manzi still far, far out in front with 13 goals. Georgia Heisman not far behind on nine. Edie Bouchelle with eight. Sasha Adamson, seven. Meg Mendez, who scored uh, Fulham's lone goal against Portsmouth, moves to six. And then there's a handful of people as well with a couple of goals to their name uh, throughout the rest of the team. Um but let's talk about the big game coming up this weekend, Fulham taking on the Arsenal Academy. Unfortunately, this game is not going to be streamed live, um, but we will obviously get a slightly better highlights package because of the of the number and the quality of cameras at Craven Cottage. So I'm looking forward to watching some hopefully extended highlights of this one and some high-quality football uh, against what will be a decent side. It's obviously an Arsenal Academy side, but um, Dad and Sam, I still expect to see you know, some some pretty high-quality players. If we look at, we were talking about our under-21s and how good the academy is. Imagine our under-21s where we've seen playing against League One opposition and getting results. Uh, I think we're going to be in for a pretty tough game against Arsenal. Yeah, oh, no doubt. Yeah, like, well, Arsenal outside of, like, Chelsea and, like, um the Women's Super League, they're um, one of the strongest, if not um, uh, probably their closest contender. Um yeah, no, they, these it's gonna be it's gonna be as well as an awesome experience for the girls and it just just for the cottage in general. It's gonna be a very very good game for them. It's gonna be a really significant test um, because yeah, these they, these are gonna be this is this is pretty much um, the tier below the cream of the crop because these girls in the next couple of years are going to be the household names within the women's game. Um, so 
really really exciting it's really really cool that um uh, we're going to be able to like play against them and really get a feel for that level because i mean within so like sometimes when you play like if we were to play against arsenal that can almost be slightly counterintuitive to us because the the gap in quality is so big but this is a really good opportunity to measure ourselves against top opposition and also just kind of get a feel about where the game is progressing who these players are going to be now it's it's going to be it's going to be really really good and also as well tickets are so cheap so hopefully they just get like a really really big crowd come down the cottage for them i think the other aspect to it is 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 that you know without ignoring the game and getting a result i i think there's a I don't want to use the wrong word, but there seems to be a bit of a carnival atmosphere about this one. I think it's such a wonderful opportunity for the girls to play at at Craven Cottage, a really lovely ground, um, and 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 no doubt um, be supported by much much bigger crowds than they would normally have. Mm. And that that's really exciting. Imagine, you know, uh, Georgia Georgia Heesman was He's talking been. about it in uh, the Fulham Fix podcast um, about the feeling of actually scoring at at uh, Craven Cottage, you know, and hear the, mm. hearing a crowd roar. And I think absolutely wonderful. And I, I, I desperately want the girls to be soaking that up and to, to have that imprinted in their mind that that's the opportunity, you know, that's where, that's where this journey is going. And so it's a great chance to sort of um, kind of get that end goal in 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 the top of your mind that you can actually start seeing it and believing it. So, it's so yeah, it's just exciting. It's so realistic as well because it's it's realistically probably going to take the girls maybe about four to five years to actually get to the women's. Um, Super League, like the Premier League equivalent for like the women's, it's probably going to take about that much time for them to actually get there. And I would really, really hope that in that time, the women's game has progressed to the point where they will be playing at the cottage and it will be their home. And it just, just what a just the more that the girls can do that and see themselves in the light that they should be seen. I just, I just, I just think that that is just so important, and they should just be given every opportunity that they possibly can to just picture themselves, visualize it, and just be treated that way. Because the more that we treat them that way, the more they will become that. So, what are what are the um, what are the bets for the the crowd for for Sunday? Oh, well, I, I mean, they've sold two thousand tickets as per. Um, I think they recorded Fulham yeah. Fix uh, last. Oh, was, I think on Monday night, actually last last week. So, or Tuesday could have been. I can't remember. So, I, I, look, I'm hoping that they have a lot of people rock up on the night to buy tickets mm. at the gate. Um, I think the goal should always be to um, beat the attendance records from the year before. Um, I, I'd love to see five thousand. Uh, I think it was three mm. and a half the year before. I think five thousand would be. Um, a, a really good crowd and, and 5,000 people make an awful lot of noise. Mm. Um, so it'd be great to see that kind of level of attendance. I don't know if you guys think that's maybe a step too far. I'm not sure. No, 
of course What's not. Rexon did it really recently. With like, they had seven thousand people rock up, so we can do it. It's absolutely impossible to tell, isn't it? And and it, it all it takes is for Fulham to push it hard enough. And you know, I mean, I, I I'm not sure, but it would be great if all other podcasts were pushing this uh, equally as well. It's there's no football on this weekend. Obviously, international break. What else are you going to do? Yeah, of yeah, course. Exactly. Um, I, I also enjoy your confidence, Sam, saying that this Fulham women team of five or six years away from heading into the Women's Super League, that's like saying uh, Slough Town, uh, you're five or six years away from the Premier League. They'll get there pretty soon. Um, well, I, I, I genuinely yeah. believe it. I genuinely but I think, believe it. The, I the issue Club being like... the, the, the one promotion spot yeah. for each league going up. It's, it's a well, very tough way to pro- progress, I think. You have to keep backing the club constantly financially, and I hope Fulham do that. Um, it just five five years might be a stretch. I think it's a, it's probably a ten year plan. Hopefully, yeah, I'm sure, sure, slow Jack, and slow but, and but steady to com- progress. To to compare it to Slough, God forbid. Um, you know, Fulham is a proper club. It's got money. It's got infrastructure. It's got facilities. It's got a yeah, lot of, of attraction, and it it does have the money to buy the right players at the right time to make utterly sure that it does happen. Not, notwithstanding the fact that it is obviously incredibly difficult to get promoted and one, one or two slip ups in a whole season, a long season uh, and you're done for. It's really tough. But if you, if you overcompensated by buying in the right players and just making absolutely sure that it happens, you could do it. I'm not saying it's going to be I, I think, serial, you know, year after year after year, and you just do it because it's never going to be that easy. But they, the, the important as well is is us continuing to put it at the forefront of people's minds and the Fulham community, and exactly. they need the support for that to constantly be pushed as something that should be made important at the club, absolutely, and absolutely. something that should be a absolutely. you know a sense of pride for the club to have a WSL team. Cause I, you know, we, we take a lot of pride in the history of the women's team and the fact that we're FA cup winners and, you know, we were battering sides back in the day and we were so far ahead of everyone else. And it's such a shame we're, we, we let that slip away, you know, back in the early two thousands. And I, I think the club and the fans would love to get back to that stage where we are, you know, one of the biggest women's teams in the country, if not in Europe. Mm. Well, if well, it, if it if it isn't the sort of burnt in mission of the club to get there, one way perhaps we can contribute is to actually try and get the fans on board to make sure that the club doesn't forget that that's what we want and that's what we believe where we believe the women should be. Yeah, well, and it would also as well. I I think um, even if it, even if it does take us um, between like six to ten years. It'd be really, really nice because I, I truly believe that um, investment in the women's game is one of the best things that you could possibly do um, just with the way that everything is tracking and the trajectory of it seems to be. So like if it takes us that long to get there, then I've got every confidence that um, uh, by the time that they actually get to the Premier League, they will be playing in the cottage and they will have the full backing behind them and wouldn't that be incredible that when they go there they have the full support of 
everyone and it's really really visible as opposed to still having to like fight for that recognition because i really think that in um that length of time the women's game will have progressed that much educate me what, mm. what sort of numbers do man city chelsea and the likes get to the women's game they get they get pretty good they get pretty good i mean obviously it's not the same as um the men's game but um any idea, Jack? Um, Jack are you, are you I'm just having Google? a very quick Google, looking at you know average three thousand per game. Um, Which, if you compare that to five years ago, is crazy because five years ago they would they would not be pulling that. Yeah, look, most most teams play they don't play at the Premier League grounds, and that's not um, because they don't want them to play at the Premier League grounds. I think it, it's more than anything is the schedule. I think every club would love to have their under-21s and women's sides playing at their home ground. But realistically, it, it's just it's too much stress on a, on a pitch across a full season. You're mm. talking about school pitches at that point where that get played on, you know, three or four times a week and you, you do it because you have to. But, um, I mean, what we hope is that at Mottswell Park they um, maybe make some redevelopments and turn that into a slightly bigger capacity of maybe a couple of thousand and a bit more seating there. But, uh, I mean, that's a, a whole other, other story. But it's all about investing in the women's game going forward and just ensuring that we we do put it at the front of the mind of the club and, and of the fans as well because the fans are the ones who put bums on seats, buy tickets to games and show interest in this. So mm. um, I, I think we need to just always be pushing it as hard as we can um, to make sure the club understands that it's what the fans want and it's what people want to see. Um, guys, I think we've probably covered everything. It's been a pretty long one. Um, yeah. Is it any interest from either of you on actually playing out? Because we did sort of mention it slightly before that we were featured on Fulham Fix, um, which was released today. Um, we had um, there were a couple of the girls were on from the women's team, Georgia Heesman and Sasha Adamson. Um, as followers of the podcast would know, we've been releasing songs over the last few weeks um, for the Fulham players in the hope that some of the crowd will actually get along and make the girls feel at home and really put Arsenal under a bit of pressure as well by having a big noise in the stadium. Um, would we like to play the actual tracks for Sasha Adamson and Georgia Heisman on this podcast, seeing as I played through a tinny phone on the uh, Fulham Fix podcast? I don't even want to discuss it. I don't even You've got it right it. under your mouse. Just do it. Yeah, yeah. You don't need my permission. You don't need my permission. You already <laughs> accosted me enough to make the fucking things in the first place. But... <laughs> uh, Sammy didn't actually make them. We actually hired someone else to do it. Anyway, here's the yeah. first one for yeah. Georgia Heisman. I will have to fade that one out eventually because it does go on forever. That's the first one. As you I might don't have care. It's a vibe, from, man. This is a good uh, track. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna back this. This is a good track. I'm happy with this. I'm very happy with that end result. As as heard on the um, Full and Fix podcast, that one is 
because uh, Georgia Heisman is nicknamed G, which turned into Gina. So Gina's going to score. Hopefully she does score at the cottage on the weekend as well. And um, the second one that was played on the fix was um, the song for Sasha Adamson. Uh, I'll play this one now. And again, I won't <laughs> let that play again. But another one for Sasha. That's Oval D Oval Da for those who didn't pick that up straight away from the Beatles. Um, like we said, we're doing it for a bit of fun. There's these on our Twitter. Um, I think just before the game, I'll probably pop them all together in a bit of a playlist so people can actually sit on the train on the way to the game and listen to the songs and learn the words and uh, hopefully chant a few songs out to the players. I'd love it if Fulham actually blasted them through the tannoy before the game as well. I think that would be top class. But uh, we have to have a few words with our friends to see if we can make that happen. Um, but, yeah, keep an eye out. We've got a couple more to come before the game on Sunday. Hopefully we're having some real creative struggles in the background which are causing us the all to pull our hair out. Has, has not ended, people, from last podcast. It's still going. It's still, it's still very much there. It's good. Still very it's much there. Good. Very much alive. Lucky we're family because I don't think we'd be friends by the end of this. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're really pushing it. We're really pushing it. <laughs> oh, I'm loving every second. Um, but we've definitely got a few more to come. I, I hope we can settle on some lyrics for some of these, but we'll get there eventually. Um, look, guys, I, I think we can call it quits there. Not forever, but for now. Um, <laughs> definitely looking forward to um, following along with the uh, Arsenal game of the weekend. It's such a shame we won't be able to watch it live, but really looking forward to uh, hearing back about how the game goes. And um, I just wish the, the the women's team well for that game. I really hope they um, really enjoy the moment, being able to stand out in the middle of the cottage, our, our home ground, and... Um, they put in a good performance against uh, what will be a tough Arsenal team, but um, I, I'm confident we can come away with some something out of that game, and if not, a really good experience for for everyone involved. Um, so, Sammy, thank you for joining us tonight. Off to bed for you. Thank you for having me. If you don't see me on the next pod, it's because I have fallen out with my family. Um, but you know what? I'm sure there's going to be some songs between now and then. And yeah, no. Um, up with the girls. Come on. You can do this. I'm proud of you. We're 100% behind you. And yeah, I'll speak to you lovely people soon. And Dad, thank you for joining us. Yeah, pleasure. Um, like, like you said... <laughs> It's it's an interesting toil in the background here. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I said to you it. before, comedy is tragedy plus time. You know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, it's good to see the girls enjoying it. It really is, and, and I'm glad glad to be um, providing some fodder for all the banter. Um, so yeah, um, good luck on good luck on the weekend, and um, 
I, I would say enjoy the experience and, uh, you know, it, it soak it up. Absolutely. So thank you again to everyone. And until next time, come on, you whites. <laughs>